From the archives of the East Oregonian, we bring you the murder of Sheriff Till Taylor. A hundred years later to the day, we'll take you through the sheriff's story, the events leading up to his murder, and the manhunt that ensued for the men responsible. I'm your host, Alex Castle, and I'm joined by our producer, Ben Lonergan. No outlaws taken, many clues followed, read the headline of the July 29th, 1920 edition of the East Oregonian. We left off our last episode with suspicions growing and spirits dissipating among local authorities and citizens, while the fugitives faced struggles out on the road while avoiding the angry mobs for days. Reading from Ernest L. Crockett's book, The Murder of Till Taylor, much discouragement was reflected at headquarters on Thursday morning. Weary men returned from days in the mountains with torn clothing and shoes completely worn through. We are a little better off now than at the start of the manhunt, and it looks like a long, hard fight declared Sheriff Jinx Taylor that day. The day before led to some hopeful bubbles being burst as the search around the Squaw Creek area turned up cold and the report of two men slinking through the night led posses of men tracking footsteps south of Pendleton to Mackay Creek and just when the search party thought they'd stumbled upon two of the fugitives, it turned out to just be two high school boys from Portland who were enjoying some night swimming. These two boys were like many others coming to Umatilla County in July 1920 in search of work. Just like today, hundreds of laborers migrated to Umatilla County to work on its farmland during harvest time, which only complicated the ongoing manhunt as authorities tried to question every individual traveling to and through the area. Still, authorities were following up on more tips the morning of July 29, 1920. Some reports indicated two men were walking along the railroad tracks near Gibbon, while 50 men were dispatched to Thorn Hollow with dogs to search through the thick vegetation on the banks of the Umatilla River. The men were to take the dogs down the river's banks, hoping to at least eliminate the area from the list of where the men may be hiding. Lee Warnock, sheriff in neighboring Union County and a friend of the deceased Till Taylor, had been organizing his forces in the Grand since the day of the murder. After some of the tribe's expert trackers were able to locate footprints believed to be of Neil Hart and Jim Owens, Warnock led a search of the Meacham Creek area with two parties. One began at the creek's source high in the mountains, and another began in the basin where it met with the Umatilla River. Believing themselves to be on the path of Owens and Hart, the parties planned to converge and capture the two in the middle. But according to Crockett, this was perhaps the most rugged area of the hunt so steep that the railroad was compelled to make a complete horseshoe turn while requiring three or four helper engines to get its trains up the grade. There were no reports from the Union County Sheriff by 11 a.m. the morning of July 29, 1920, leading the East Oregonian morning report to read, The fact that Sheriff Lee Warnock of Union County has not reported since taking up the trail of the two men reported working up Meacham Creek from Duncan leads here to the belief that the trail is still hot. Meanwhile, men continued to scour the area near Duncan, where train guards had fired on two men believed to be the fugitives the morning before. A rumor passed along that two of the men had been captured about 75 miles away in North Powder, but this proved to be false. Throughout the ongoing search, the manhunt headquarters in Pendleton managed to stay connected with the various search parties and the litany of tips and rumors coming in thanks to some access to a portable telephone, which local Clyde Mackay had an outfit for that could be attached at any point along the telephone lines in the area to relay messages back and forth. However, telegraphs were still one of the primary modes of communication at the time. As those back in Pendleton awaited some good news from the search parties, none came as of the afternoon. The evening edition on July 29, 1920 of the East Oregonian led with the following. Search for Jim Owens, Neil Hart, 
Jack Rathie, Lewis Anderson, and Richard Patterson were continued this afternoon after the morning's work had developed nothing definite. New theories as to the whereabouts of the escaped county jail prisoners were brought in this afternoon and given a hearing by officers. There is little news of progress coming into headquarters, and the situation remains unchanged. The only developments are the running out of present clues. Little new has developed, and officers have nothing to divulge. Directions and frequent report to and from searchers continue, indicating that the search is not lacking vigor. Officials at the sheriff's office, however, are hopefully awaiting the receipt of some new information that may prove to lead to a capture. Within a matter of hours, officials got just what they were looking for. A woman by the name of Mrs. Hicks reported that evening that a man, whose physical descriptions matched that of Jack Rathie, came to her farmhouse near Gibbon and demanded food. According to Crockett's account of the report, he stood at the door, keeping his right hand in his pocket, ready for action at my first bad move, Mrs. Hicks told authorities at the time. The man had at least four days' growth of beard on his face and was extremely nervous all the time he was in the house. I asked him if he knew about the Pendleton jailbreak just to see how he would act. He stammered and said he was going from Walla Walla to Legrand and got lost running out of food. But after he had been fed and had taken some food to carry, he backed away from the house and disappeared again into the brush. I felt sure all the time he had a gun in his pocket. The information from Mrs. Hicks was telegraphed at a tiny train station near Gibbon back to Pendleton, and Sheriff Jinx Taylor put three of his deputies stationed in the area onto Rathie's trail. This information helped cement the belief of authorities that the men were split into three groups. Following this report, E.B. Wood, special agent with the Oregon-Washington Railroad and Navigation Company, who was helping coordinate all of the posses in the area at the time, was quoted as saying, the entire situation looks better now than at any time since the jailbreak. There is no question now that we are definite on Rathy, and he will be captured in a short time. The new leads kept the community encouraged, as deputies could feel themselves drawing closer and closer to Rathy. Lewis Anderson and Richard Patterson were still struggling with only water in hand as they walked through the Meacham area, digging up raw potatoes to eat as their only source of food in days. Elsewhere, Sheriff Warnock and his search parties were growing tired, running on nearly no sleep over the last few days, but inspired by the belief that they may be closing in on Owens and Hart. But the pressure remained to finally bring Till Taylor's killers into custody. As Crockett wrote, Each day that the fugitives remained uncaptured increased the likelihood of their escape across the mountains. Thursday night closed in, with only Rathie's capture and immediate hope. There is no definite proof of the whereabouts of the other four. And that's where we'll leave it for episode five. On our next episode, we'll go through the events of July 30th, 1920, as authorities hone in on the fugitives and confidence grows that their capture is all but inevitable. Inevitable.